Cooking with Chopsticks. The truth about dictatorships. A podcast with Chin Li Wen and Marcel Chan. Hey Li Wen, how are you doing? Hello Marcel, I'm great. It's Winter Olympics coming, so are you very busy with uh, reporting? Well, not sports reports, but of course I accompany the, the lead up to the games and uh, also uh, the games itself from a well, yeah, political point of view. Basically, there will be a lot of subjects probably coming up, I think. So what about you? Will you watch the Olympic Games on TV? Are you interested at all uh, in sports, in winter sports, or will you just uh, observe it as a political analyst? I'm not a sports fan, but especially this sort of professional sports competition. But it does, of course, this Winter Olympics in Beijing uh, does remind me of my experience in 2008 when I was uh, responsible for covering the Beijing Olympics for the first internet sponsor of Olympics in the history, which is Sohu.com. So I was the newsroom director then. And so I had to, our website was, uh, our company was responsible for building all the websites for Beijing Olympics, like um, the International Media Center news website and etc. Yeah. Well, that uh, totally qualifies you as an as an uh, commentator and analyst for the upcoming games now. But before we get into the upcoming uh, uh, games or the political background of it, uh, China announced that 346 million Chinese people have engaged more or less in winter sports within uh, the last seven years since 2015, when the games were granted to Beijing. Uh, 346 million people and the IOC called China now officially a winter sports nation so like Switzerland and Austria so we have Switzerland Austria and China the three the big three in winter sports this is uh, uh, well it was astonishing 346 million how do they come up with a number of 346 I mean, I don't know why numbers like that would impress people that much. I mean, after all, we're talking about a nation of 1.4 billion people. In the past years also, because of the economic growth, there will be more and more um, sort of tourism industry trying uh, provide uh, tourism service providers uh, that will create this sort of spots you know, like skiing, skating, and etc. Um, in northern China, particularly, because in southern China you don't have ice and snow. So, do you think it's appropriate? <laughs> Three hundred forty-six million. Is it? Is it like realistic or? Is it just a figure? Because I remember China promised to engage 300 million people uh, before they were the games granted. <laughs> and, and now they say 346. So do you think this number is realistic or is it just a number they just picked I up? Mean, or probably everybody who builds a snowman within the last seven years is now engaged in winter sports. Like who's going to count that? Statistics. Right? Who's going to count that? Who, well, who, who, how are you going to count that? Exactly. Of course, there is one way, for example, when there is a skiing resort or skating um, spots where they collect tickets, then they can count the visitors. But uh, like, how are you going to do all this sort of calculation? 
Or, or, or you can exactly, also do yeah. survey, but then also, why does it even matter? That's a good question. Is it, is it like justifying? Look, this is why it was a good reason to give the games to Beijing or probably it is, I think, to justify it because there were a lot of critics about giving it to China or to Beijing because people argue, well, Beijing is not a city where you actually do any winter sports. And uh, well, anyway, they were granted it. And maybe now it looks like oh it had a good reason and it is uh, um, also for the um, for the industry of winter sports, it it is a welcoming uh, uptick on new market opening up for for all the industry and maybe this is the reason why they they came up with this figure. By the way, did But did you res did you check out that when uh when Norway and China were competing for this Olympic game? The, the hosting right for this Winter Olympic. Did no, you, what are you see referring to? how, what kind of uh, criteria or standards that the IOC has raised for the Norwegians? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Norway withdraw, right? Yes. Yeah, Norway withdraw. You know why? Because the IOC gave a ridiculous list of demands for divine treatment of the IOC Right, members, I read this. Uh, what, di divine, what divine treatment was included? Do you know? Uh, yes. Like, for example, they demanded to meet the king of Norway prior to the opening ceremony. Afterwards, there shall be a cocktail reception. Drinks shall be paid for by the royal palace or the local organizing committees. Separate lanes should be created on all roads where IOC members will travel, which are not to be used by regular people or public transportation. A welcoming greeting from the uh, local Olympic boss and the hotel manager should be presented in IOC members' rooms along with fruits and cakes of the season. Seasonal fruit in Oslo in a winter. Mm. <laughs> yes. they, the Norwegians quit because I think this is basically a, a list to deliberately ask them to quit and give it to Beijing. Oh, all right. All right. Well, I, I, you can't rule out anything in this, uh, well, gang of, uh, uh, well... Buddies. Whatever you want to call them. Yes, <laughs> the buddies, gang of yeah. buddies. Oh, yeah. buddies, right? Uh, yeah, so you think that would be a good excuse, that had been a good excuse to grant it to Beijing, right? Okay, so you just mentioned that you were engaged in the setup of the internet performance of the Olympic Games in 2008. So you had an inside view on how things working in Beijing. If you compare 2008 Beijing Olympics and... The 2022 Beijing Olympics. What is the main difference? Um, the overall impression, of course, is that in uh, in 2008, uh, Beijing was trying very hard to present the image of a country of a rising state that is open and is part of the leading power of the civilized society in the world 
and etc etc so at that time beijing really made a lot of efforts to beautify itself um and not only image wise but also in the organization and also in um i mean not only in the city's presence uh, how it looks like but also in political wise they uh, even provided a spot in beijing where you where people can demonstrate which to show that uh, china it has democracy people can freely express themselves there was a huge discussion cetera, back then about the, there, there was huge <laughs> demands from the from foreign countries from the ioc uh, to yeah. uh, to have that well whatever to 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 have the right to grant the right to, to chinese people to demonstrate during this time right according to the olympic charter uh, charter i remember yeah this time nobody even talks about it yeah this time nobody talks about it um and this time beijing has created a bubble right for the winter olympics it's uh, conveniently thanks to the pandemic beijing built a bubble so that uh, everything about the winter olympics any everybody involved in the winter olympics stay inside a bubble so they cannot wander about in beijing freely or in china which is of course an ideal situation for a government that wants to control every bit of information about itself but the the creation of such a bubble could uh, of such a zone where people could demonstrate well has not necessarily something to do with the olympic bubble people could you could grant this space for people anyway according to the olympic charter uh, charter outside the olympic bubble for beijingers to demonstrate right <laughs> why not i mean if we go you along know, with the olympic charter there's no such the there's no it, such it, necessity it's it written down there's no such necessity anymore in 2008 china uh, 2008 was a defining year when china rose um its economy grows surpassed japan become the second biggest economy in the world and china still at that time was um trying to convince the world that is one of the uh, leading nations uh, in every frontier, not only in economy, but in ideology. Um, and then after that, of course, we have gone through more than a, a decade. And uh, now Beijing has believed that it has established itself as one of the world leaders. And China model has been more successful than the Western democratic models and etc. So it doesn't even bother to create such a false image of democracy anymore because, um, because it has asserted that China is the real, the best, better model of democracy. So there is no, no point to show like this sort of demonstration freedom speech of uh, freedom of speech, that kind of thing anymore. I read in an opinion piece just today, I read that someone argued, well, 2008 was such a disappointment for Chinese uh, public that they didn't grant the respect and, um, well, the cheer for hosting the games. And that changed their perception of the outside world. No, I, no, I think such a sweeping conclusion is always problematic because there were two sides of the 
coverage of Olympics in Beijing in 2008 from the international by the international media. On uh, one side is that um, there were enthusiastic applause for the hosting of Beijing Olympics, like including the grandiose, most grandiose and luxurious sort of opening ceremony and closing ceremony and etc. Uh, and all the or the abundance of uh, uh, lavishing on the on the details and in uh, presenting Chinese uh, wealth, China's wealth and power, and also the orderly city and etc. So everything was quite um, praised when it comes to Olympic itself. But 2008 was also a year of disaster. It's not only the Sichuan earthquake, but Tibet and Xinjiang. Well, we had Tibet had and big, uh, on top, right? Yeah, the Tibet yeah big uprising. riot, up And then there were poisoned milk products in China that poisoned tens of millions of babies. And uh, that news came out, also broke into international uh, media. And it uh, resulted for a while into the milk powder shortage <laughs> in some places in the Western countries because they were all sold to China uh, because Chinese people don't trust their own uh, the, the milk powder produced by Chinese companies at that time. So all these sort of things, they are not really related to Olympics. And on the other hand, do Chinese people resent that? I doubt it, actually, because when you say Chinese people, you're talking about Chinese government, who is unhappy about these reports, despite the effort they have made to convince the world uh, through the Olympic Games that they have been a great nation and etc. But then on the other hand, they see that international media are still not you know, appreciating all these and still cover all these riots in, in China and the milk powder scandals and etc. So I, 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 it really bothers me a lot when uh, internet, like foreign media cover China and they kind of mix the people with the government or mix the internet trolls hired by the government or the nationalistic trolls with the people. So it's all sort of too conveniently framed. What, what happened afterwards, like when you say that China is, was, was people were disappointed not to be granted mm. the respect they were hoping for, um, it actually is not, is not really what happened afterwards. China um, got a lot of respect. Yeah. You mentioned it um, earlier already. China got a lot of respect. You see the way... Um, they appear in uh, uh, on the world stage. How um, how assertive they are in their demands and in in their in their points of view to bring it to the world. Um, also, the way their wolf warrior diplomacy attacks international affairs or uh, any dissent from the outside world. Um, it is a sign of very big self confidence that China gained. So, uh, I think you just could or China just could gain that kind of self-confident 
by being granted the respect they were asking for. I mean, maybe it was not like the happiness all over that people were sharing the joy and um, the, the Chinese government was hoping for, but respect as a superpower, China definitely was granted exactly. by the world. Yeah, and all even to the smaller countries. <laughs> And this is probably also a reason why when we when we wonder why why would Beijing ask for a second Olympic Games within 14 years? Um, why would they do it? You could argue, well, it's just 14 years ago. I mean, be laid back. You had your Olympic Games. Uh, the economy is more or less on track. Uh, Power-wise, the country is getting more and more important world in the world. The influence is, uh, influence is rising. So why hosting another Olympic Games? And my point would be that that it is not about it is not about the U.S., Europe, or the industrialized mm. countries, the democracies in the world. But China wants to impress and also wants to bring on its side all the countries that um, are small and that don't take a big role on the world stage, but they become very very important assets when it comes down to. International issues discussed in organizations like the United Nations or whatever. Every every single um, voice yeah. counts. And natural uh, China resources. China influences yeah. natural resources, um, commodities, markets, mm. access to markets. Um, yeah. Also yeah. investment to to have the freedom to be to 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 be uh, welcomed as an investor and all these yeah. things. Um, this is this is something that that really works for for the Chinese government. These Olympics are therefore to just impress also the little states in the world. It's not about convincing us that China uh, is a nice dictatorship. It's about all the little countries that are torn between the Western de democracies pulling on the one mm -hmm. hand and the autocracies pulling on the other hand. Um, and in this regard. Uh, I think it's important for or, or this this Olympic Games becomes an extra asset for for Beijing. Yeah, and uh, you are talking. You talked about the international the the impact that an Olympic Game could have for the host country on the the its international relations. I, uh, from domestic point of view, actually, I think it's also very important for authoritarian countries. They really love this sort of games, this sort of events, because it's a boost of uh, nationalistic pride. Like any sports event, uh, right? A boost of yes. nationalism, yeah. yes, sentiments um, among its own people, which happened greatly. I mean, which is, which was very obvious in the past, like uh, 1995 uh, Asian sports game and then 2008 Olympic game was the peak. And this Winter Olympics, when, when Beijing was competing, like bidding for it, we didn't know there would be such a difficult situation like pandemic or economic debt slowdown and etc. So Beijing was probably thinking another, it could be another boost of pride. Do you think that, that like the, the current political affairs on world stage, like Xinjiang, all the human rights crimes going on there uh, on a wide scale, Uh, the de-democratization de of Hong Kong, the threats towards Taiwan, the ongoing suppression of Tibetans. Do these things actually harming Beijing's uh, organization now? Because everything became more and more obvious after the games were granted to Beijing. So uh, is it like a negative mm. impact for the games so that these games might become 
like might backfire on, on China anyhow, because now all these problems uh, are obvious. When you talk about China's uh, Chinese government's image on in international society, especially in the democratic countries, of course, uh, it has been it has suffered greatly in the past years. Um, it's also even among the public, like in Germany, I could see the turn of sentiments also. Even though Germany has German people normally don't know anything about China and they normally hold a friendly view towards China or let's say indifferent mm. view <laughs> with China. Um, but then there are more and more negative uh, sentiment growing ever since, especially ever since the pandemic, I think. It's not only Xinjiang um, or Hong Kong, because I don't think many Germans know a lot about Xinjiang and Hong Kong or care too much. Um, pandemic was more the problem. Um, but I think domestically, the I, I cannot comment on international uh, like public opinions about Beijing, but domestically, I think at this moment, what we witness is that, first of all, people don't dare or they don't know much, the Chinese people, they don't know or don't dare to know much about Xinjiang and Taiwan and Hong Kong. But domestic situation right now is not very nice because there are more and more unemployment uh, growing Unemployment rate is growing uh, due to the economic slowdown. Um, and then there is a lot of um, pandemic control that the, the measure was the measures are so extreme that people really suffer and they get angry about it. And then there is, of course, this loss of hope of the younger generation because they Many of them are now so well educated, but they cannot get decent uh, payment in their jobs, uh, like and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. All these factors that actually kind of damped the pride they would feel. Uh, even I don't know. I mean, maybe the Winter Olympics could give them some entertainment and a, a, another little boost of pride. But then I think it's very hard to use a sport event to uh, keep people's attention from their difficulties for long, you know, the difficulties in real mm. life. And you mentioned because in the, the... 2008, you know, that the economy was great, like there was booming real estate market and lots of opportunities, new industries rising, like digital economy and etc. So. So 2008 was, was an optimistic year for Chinese. But this year is a, the year of pessimism for Chinese. You, I could feel these sentiments all across social media and among my friends. Going back to all that criticism from the, from the, from the outside, do you think that is something that is pain in the ass for Beijing or not at all? Or is it uh, rather a problem for the IOC? Because the IOC now, the International Olympic Committee who granted the, the Games to to mm. Beijing, they have to justify that they granted to Beijing, right? They, they are in trouble now because uh, everybody's talking about Xinjiang, Hong Kong and, and whatever and COVID <laughs> yeah. and, 
uh, and uh, the Beijing government just or the China's Chinese government just lays back and says, yeah. "Well, we have the games; we don't care." So yeah, yeah. We as we we talked about it before that that actually IOC has always have to de uh, deal with this sort of. Um, criticism because they have no problem partnering with authoritarian governments uh, or totalitarian governments in the world in the past and but this is their business it's just a big business right and on the other hand they never cancel any business due to political reasons or even pandemic reasons like japan actually wanted to quit the Olymp hosting the olympic games last year but ioc didn't allow it i heard and so they postponed it um, so I think for IOC, it's just a matter of crisis management, but it's a more severe crisis management this time because everything is a bit extreme when it comes to China. As to Beijing, I, I don't think uh, this is anything new. As you, as you mentioned you know, the word crisis, I remember 2008 when uh, Tibet was on fire ahead of the games and stuff and, and the criticism was really harsh. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. IOC president back then, Jacques Rogge, yeah. he said... The Olympic Games are in crisis, he said before the Games. Mm. And that was quite a remarkable uh, statement he made. Yeah. But I remember that when the, the day the Games were starting, or at least the day the, day the Games were ended, well, the crisis was over, you know, and nobody <laughs> ever talked about the crisis at all. Yeah. And I think this will be the same right now. Yeah. Everybody is talking, or well, everybody, but there's a lot of uh, upset in the world um, that... Beijing hosts the games um, due to their human rights record and stuff. Uh, but my my concern is that uh, the day the games are open, uh, the games are the day the games are ended. Well, there's no criticism. The crisis is over again, and nobody really cares about it. That's that's the real tragedy in it. Um, we have. Uh, what we experience now, uh, also in terms of criticism, is uh, that there's a lot of critics from Germany now coming. Former athletes, current athletes, and one former athlete, uh, uh, an alpine alpine skier, Felix Neurotter, a very, very renowned uh, worldwide world-class athlete, uh, several World Cup medals and uh, World Cup victories. He uh, said that he is... He believes that medals are so, he said it in, uh, in an interview, medals are so important for China that he wouldn't rule out that there's manipulation on the COVID tests on athletes to, to ban certain athletes for the competitions with a positive COVID test because he said nobody can prove and nobody can process how these results of the COVID tests will, um, will constitute and so it uh, it is not to rule out that the Chinese regime would uh, utilize that as an asset to gain more medals for the country. <laughs> this is, I think, also quite remarkable that he that he gives or makes this uh, makes this statement. Um, it's a former former athlete who, who will be in Beijing probably as a as a commentator. Mm. I, I think at least. Um, and there were officials from the German Alpine uh, Federation and also from the Snowboard Federation actually confirming that idea. They also were very skeptical on the handling of the testing. So mm. you, with your, with your experience in China, do you think that this is 
like a likely scenario that the Chinese uh, government or the Chinese Sports Federation um, will manipulate COVID tests to gain more medals, uh, COVID tests of, 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 of opponents in certain sports to, to, um, to elevate the chances of Chinese athletes to, to, get, to, to win medals? Um, I mean, we have to be very honest to, to, to say that this kind of thought, if you say this kind of thought would never pop up in the Beijing decision-maker's mind, uh, we would be lying, right? It would be so such a <laughs> nice, convenient tool for them to have, to manipulate the game, to tamper with the game. But I think Beijing is not that stupid because how many athletes, first of all, you can block? The whole world's attention is on them. This is really reduced to very certain events like uh, speed skating or ice skating. Yeah. Short track, mm. uh, the ice skaters, short track. Couldn't do that on in, in sports like, uh, I don't know, biathlon or... Well, all the sports where the Chinese athletes are not very good at all because they need to take out so many athletes of the opponents that there's no, no athletes left, basically, before the Chinese yeah. end up on the, yeah, on the podium, yeah. to be fair, right? So this is really reduced to, to one yeah, or two yeah. disciplines, yeah. maybe. One or two cases. Mm. Who knows? Five cases would be eye-catching and uh, probably would, would, uh, would support for an outrage. But but one or two cases, well, easily. I don't know. I don't know. It's um, but it's it's interesting to see that that former athletes coming out yeah. now and saying these things, you know, and and uh, daring to speak out and say, look, I this is how I this, see it. I expect the Chinese yeah, uh, this federation is, this to, is to of betray course, basically. Uh, general attitude that ha we could see the the, the the kind of attitude that um, that the athletes probably now feel that this is a country, this is a government that doesn't follow any rules. <laughs> so they lost the trust in it. Well, I mean, we have the case of Peng Shui, by the way, still going on. She's not an athlete at the Winter Olympics, but she's a tennis player. She was an Olympian at the Summer Olympics. That made the world pay a lot of attention towards, towards Beijing and the handling of uh, such dissent in China. And um, back then in November, the IOC was um, had a video call to just to calm down everyone worldwide and saying, oh, she's fine. She's fine. Because, again, it was the IOC in trouble uh, who needed to justify yeah. why the games are granted to a country where former uh, uh, tennis or former former Olympian athletes are taken away yeah. for just speaking out. And um, now the, the news came out that um, there will be a, a lunch between Thomas Bach, the IOC president, and Peng Shui during the Olympic Games. Mm -hmm. The IOC confirmed that they're planning to do that. I wonder when Thomas Bach and uh, Xi Jinping met a few days ago, uh, a few days ahead of the, of the opening ceremony, uh, they were mm -hmm. talking about the great, uh, the great Olympic sites and about the efficiency, the energy and the... And the courage of the Chinese organizers. Uh, and I wonder if they also spoke mm. about Peng Shui. But do you think that mm. Thomas Bach and Xi Jinping, when Thomas Bach and Xi Jinping sit alone there, like like two, three, four people in the room? I don't know. Um, I don't know Thomas maybe Bach. Maybe five or six, whatever. <laughs> do you think that yeah. they talk about Peng Shui, that Thomas Bach, what, what does he say? Does he say, hey, President Xi, um, how do we handle the Peng Shui case now? What shall I do? No, I, how do they I do think... it? Or do they just 
not talk about it and pretend there's nothing like nothing going on. And then it's like the working levels uh, of both organizations just uh, checking out and, and, and figuring out the thing. While on the top level, they don't even talk about it. What on, do you the, think? on the top level, these kind of things uh, will be dealt with extremely careful attitude, of course. It will be much more subtle than that. And also, I don't think, it, uh, as far as I know, about the Chinese hierarchy culture, this sort of thing should not even bother the national president. It should be dealt with by lower rank of officials. And when Thomas Bach is meeting Xi, it will be all pleasant and happy and gratitude and mutual appreciation, that sort of thing. Um, but the dirty details will be dealt with by those uh, officials that are directly responsible. Well, it's, it's, it's anyway... Uh... It's a fine line the IOC is walking on, but this is also a thing, you know. Now it's it's very it it will be very cringe to watch that they're gonna meet the IOC, for example. Mm. Uh, in their statement, they said um, uh, ever since this first video call between Bach and Peng Shui, the IOC team was in touch with her. Mm. Uh, just what, last week, they said, or past week, they've been in touch with her. And in this statement, the IOC said. We got to know each other better. <laughs> and I wonder, what is that now, related to? I mean, now they what probably this know to do with what, this case? what's Peng Shui's favorite food and that sort of thing. Like, yes, no, and what's there? her, yes. <laughs> and her favorite teddy bear, one of the 1,000 uh, placed in her bag when she had the video call yeah, for yeah, public. Exactly. It's, it's really weird. But, but also here, I think it is the same, it will be the same effect probably that this case becomes high level now mm. and then there will be a meeting and then there will be a statement saying, oh, she's fine. She's so happy. Uh, she loves the Olympics and everything is great and she just wants her privacy, blah, blah. And yeah. the IOC will say, oh, we did the best we could do and we helped her to stay safe and we were uh, guaranteed by the Chinese government by, or by whomever by the Chinese side that she's safe and she also confirmed. And after the games, uh, this issue will just probably disappear. Mm. Look, at, even at the, at the Australian Open now, yeah. uh, the tennis tournament, we had that case when two fans were on the, on the tribune wearing T-shirts, yeah. saying, just saying, where is Peng Shui? Yeah. Yeah. And in the first place, they were forbidden to take it or to, to wear it. Yeah. Luckily, the organizers of the Australian Open then withdraw from that standpoint and said, uh, "No, it's it's neither it is a political statement nor it is advertisement." Mm. Uh, so just asking the question, "Where is Peng Shui?" must be allowed. But it was too late. Actually, the trouble was already done. You know, harm was already done because uh, they they needed one or two days before finally withdraw from the first position. Um, but you see this like knee jerk reaction. We were talking about Peng Shui. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like in the first place, everybody was outraged. Uh, and then it just takes a few months and suddenly, you know, Peng Shui, uh, mm, uh, uh, even in Australia, well, we better, we better don't mention Peng Shui and we just don't talk about it anymore. It's also very telling, isn't it? It's very telling that their, their knee-jerk reaction is to the Australian organizer 
would be so afraid of annoying China? The problem we have with dictatorships, with mighty, with powerful autocratic systems in the world, we just don't dare to, well, especially China. Uh, Russia is different. Uh, Turkey, totally different. And all the other little dictatorships in the world, different. We criticize and we sanctionize and we're very, very determined. But when it comes to China, oh, uh, we are outraged at the beginning and then we just, you know, we just less and less loud. And then at the end of the day, all these little problems disappear. I think that, that it is time for us to see, see through all these uh, PR games of these uh, international sports games. I mean, Olympic Games is one of the most successful uh, business campaign in the past century. But it is a business. So we have to see all these sports games as business. Although they, they stand for like unity of uh, different races and communication and, and friendliness and, and human, you know, they stand for uh, the human excellence, the excellency of humans body and etc but in the end it is about business the organizers like the the founders of such organize such an events and etc they are business people so that's why it goes everywhere it, it does business with every regime and rarely well, to their excuse. Yeah, to their excuse. You're right. You're yeah. right. But to, but to the, but the to their excuse, mm. it comes down to the customers as well, right? To the consumers. Exactly. I mean, it's all about us. Yeah. When we when we just do, do it the way we always do it, and we don't care about where the products come from, yeah. where these events take place, and we're still yeah. consuming what we get. Yeah. Uh, the producers and the organizers, they don't have a reason to, to stop it exactly. because they feel, well, there is no backslash for us. So we exactly. just keep going. Exactly. And even, yeah. I mean, in, in, in the Western democratic countries, you so you have in Western democratic countries, you have workers unions, right? So in this case, in, in the sports world, it is the, the association of the sportsmen, sportswomen. So the only time we see so far, uh, such a workers' union for the athletes stand up against an authoritarian government is the World Women's Tennis Association. That is the only one so far we have seen, like standing up for the rights. But they, they somehow serve this role. And this is one single isolated case. Having said so, we're looking very forward to the Olympic Games in Beijing, don't we? <laughs> What is your reason to look forward to it? You know, my problem is I just like sports very much. <laughs> I um, I I have to. I have no. This is but this is exactly the thing I'm talking about. I as a consumer, I am trapped into that bullshit as well. Hmm. Yes, I don't like the games to be in Beijing. Yes, I I have a disdain what's going on there, and I would like them to be boycotted. But now that they're not boycotted, <laughs> I'm not might... consequent enough. <gasps> Okay. No, I'm not consequent enough as a consumer yeah. to switch off my TV. I still consume it. I still watch it. Like maybe not with the enthusiasm I had like 30 years ago when I was a kid. But, but, but I'm, I'm not consequent enough to just say no. I, I, I just don't do it. I, I, I still switch it on. 
And this is the, 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 basic, the basic problem underlying everything. We have, we, my power as a consumer, I, I really don't utilize. Uh, it wouldn't make a difference if I switch it on or not. But if everybody says so, if everybody says so, I, I, as a, I have a single individual, I don't have an impact. If everybody agrees on that, then, well, yeah, of course, nothing will change. You know, I was talking to a guy from the International Skiing Federation, and he is in a commission, a commission that takes care of the, of the buildings of ski jumping soils. And I also asked him if he felt like a little bit awkward to take part in setting up a monumental a monumental ski jumping area to a regime that uses that to glorify itself. And he said, yes, I asked the question to myself, but he said, you know, I'm just, I'm just a little wheel in a whole machine. And if I hadn't done it, someone else had done it. And this is yeah. exactly the problem that we all convinced that, well, if I don't do it, someone else does it. I don't, I don't make a difference. And as long everybody thinks so, um, well, we actually prepare um, we prepare the soil for, for autocracies or to, for businesses to, to do whatever they want. And yeah, yeah, I'm afraid so. But I, as to myself, um, you know, I, as a kid, I used to love Olympics. I really enjoyed seeing people from different culture gathering and cheering and tearing for the same thing. It's very heartwarming. And also to see beautiful athletes uh, showing their skills. But the more I know about it, the, the less I was um, emotionally um, intrigued by this event, especially after the 2008 Beijing Olympics, which I participated in some of the work. And I lost my interest in Olympics completely. I just, I just don't see. You know, I interviewed the IOC president then, IOC members then, in Lausanne. And I learned about how, you know, high up in the, in the Olympia, this sort of arrogance and superficially enthusiasm, enthusiasm about human goods. And I also learned about this history, IOC's history, and also about doping and the the whole industry that actually produce professional athletes that has lots of dark past um olympic athletes who had to, who had to was trained for example in eastern bloc in the cold war in russia or in china the soviet union or in china they how they took doping uh because you know they had to win and and then then they have this tunnel vision uh, developed for athletes, uh, among the athletes who got no other education but uh, physical training. And then after they retire, they are full of wounds physically and they don't have enough um, knowledge or skills to survive in other sector uh, in the society. So all these sort of things somehow turned me off. So so I don't I don't even feel any 
anything about it anymore. Well, this is uh, probably related to a lot of sports, not only the Olympic events or the Olympic itself, but that also applies for football, kind of. But still, you see how many people are engaged worldwide into football. You see what happened in, it's another topic, but what happened in, in Cameroon the other day, just a few days ago, mm. when Cameroon played uh, a game. Eight people were, died in the stampede. And just the other day, they, they were mourning the fatalities, but the other day, just keep on, they, they kept on playing. It's just like they don't have the time even to stop that stuff and say, look, guys, it's really a tragedy going on here. We just keep on playing. By the way, this is something, I think this is the legacy of the IOC as well. In 1972, when you had the, um, the assassin of the Palestinian terrorists mm. in Munich, mm. uh, when they killed nine Israeli athletes, mm. um, it was a tragedy. And the back then IOC presidents, the day the games must go on. Yeah, the show, the business must go on. Like, like, <laughs> actually, this is what he said: the business must go on. And till today, we just this is how we justify everything. You know, everything what happens um, bad around things, we just say the games must go on, and everybody yeah. agrees because we are we are convinced that this is the only way to 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 show our rejection of any negativity. We just keep going. Exactly. Well then, uh, thank you very much for, you. for that emotional podcast today. And um, I hope to hear you very soon. And uh, we have another exciting subject and we will not talk about the Olympic Games again. Um, <laughs> because as, yeah. we just, as we just mentioned, when mm. the day it's over, they are probably... No subject anymore. Or maybe we just change it and uh, turn things upside down. We'll see what we're going to do. Yeah. Okay, okay. Thank you very much for your time. You. And uh, it was good to talk to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. with chopsticks the truth about dictatorships a podcast with Chin Li Wen and Marcel Chan.